I think being really honest, being truthful, and you know, when you've got to deliver bad news, and we've all had to do it, don't worry about that. We've all had to deliver bad news in some way in order to, to survive through this period. Just do it in a human way rather than in a way that you think is going to make people feel better because all you're doing is trying to make yourself feel better. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making It Count, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people and be more productive. So let's get into it. Super excited to be introducing you to Mark LeBusque. Mark is universally known as the human manager. His proven techniques for elevating leaders and energizing employees make him an internationally sought after speaker, facilitator, mentor, and coach. His books, Being Human and The Little Book of Human, have challenged the way managers and organizations view the value of the 100 plus year old management system and has sparked a more human approach across the globe. And gosh, don't we need that right now? Mark has developed and refined his human manager model over a 25-year career in sales operations and general management, delivering valuable improvements in employee engagement, team performance, and business results. Now, Mark is Harvard Business School trained and an accredited practitioner in adaptive leadership and instincts at work and is affectionately known as a certified Pogan. And clearly, this is why he and I get along so well. So I think you'll agree that right now the world needs more human. We need leaders to step into a more human approach to leadership at a time when they are facing into enormous challenge as well. And it's no easy feat, which is why this episode is very timely and very relevant. So Mark shares how he became known as the human manager, the shifts required for leaders in this time of COVID-19, tips to rewire your management style, tips for having meaningful performance conversations with your team, and a really powerful question to ask yourself that will improve your self-awareness. So sit back, uh, grab a coffee, and definitely have a pen and paper with you as you'll take a lot of notes because there's some really awesome tips shared from Mark in this podcast. Enjoy. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, Julie, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Pleasure. I am super excited to be talking to you today about all things human and um, really creating a, a better space for all of our humans to reside in, particularly in the workplace, but also in life. So will we just jump straight into it? Yeah, why not? Well, let's go for it. Let's do it. So, Mark, I'd love to understand a bit about your background and how you became the human manager. All right, let me start with background. So, I grew up in um, up on well on a border town. So, at the moment, you can't go from one side of uh, Victoria to New South Wales without being stopped. I grew up in Mildura, uh, Julie, and um, like pretty pretty usual lifestyle. You know, um, good weather, lots of sport in the, both the summer and the winter, lots of um, Lots of really strong role models in in the teaching space, so I ended up becoming a phys ed teacher. Um, it was my first uh, career, and uh, only lasted a couple of years in that, and then jumped into um, jumped into the into the corporate world through the logistics sort of industry with TNT. Started on the ground floor as a as a loader of planes and a driver of trucks and sorter of parcels, and sort of moved through the system because I was able to 
do things, you know, put the parcel in the right bag and they put me into customer service and then I could find missing parcels so they put me into sales. And, you know, that, that process that we go through in the workplace is we get promoted because we're technically good and then mm. you get put in charge of human beings. So I sort of, my, my career, I'm sure many people will relate to this, was, um, was based around me being technically good at what I did until I got to the chance to manage human beings. And then I was very, very, I was lousy at that because... I hadn't been taught how to do that. And um, I say I treated people really badly as, as, as a first-time manager, a young, ambitious manager. I call myself Bad Mark today. And that was you know, doing some pretty ordinary things to people, including at one stage putting a private investigator onto one of my salespeople because I didn't think they were doing the right thing. So, so that was my career. I then sort of left one business at 29, made redundant, um, kicked and screamed for a while on that and just joined the competition and did all the same things again and ultimately got to a point about 10 years ago where I'd grown up a bit in my early 40s. I um, asked myself a question, which was what would happen if I treated my people like human beings? And for two years, I ran an experiment and ultimately that's put me to to where I am today, which is this idea of the human manager and, and how did I get to be known as a human manager? This is going to sound very self-indulgent, and it is. I uh, self-appointed myself into that position. <laughs> as you so so that, that title is something that I created um, based around the work I'd done for, for a couple of years. So that's sort of a bit of a, a bit of a brief backstory to get me to where I am today. Yeah. So was there a, was there a trigger that made you question, okay, so what if I treated my, my people like human beings? Was there... Anything that particularly happened? Um, oh, look, I, oh, there was, I think there were several triggers. Uh, I think one of them was as I'd been in the corporate space for a while, and look, believe me, the corporate space served me very well. Don't you worry about that. I, I did very well out of being in there, and I'm, I, I, I think it serves its purpose. But I reckon for the last 10 years and, and maybe so the last five years there, I'd become pretty disenchanted with the way that, things were happening, you know, they're doing more with less. Now, people are our most important asset, but it was easy to to just put a, a line through a name and make someone redundant. All of the things we espoused, we weren't doing. So I became, I'm going to say, and sometimes with good intention and sometimes not, a bit of a rebel and a maverick. And I just, I decided to start to, to push hard against the system um, to see what would happen. So I think if there, was a, there wasn't so much a trigger in that, particular point in time I think it was something that built over time I talk about this thing around um, going from hope that things would change to this sort of hopelessness that they won't change and I think I got caught up in a bit of a pity party and hopelessness and then I decided to 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 push hard against the system and just try things differently Mm. Um, I think ultimately um, one of the reasons when I reflect back on it now when I left corporate and I had a bit of time, as we do when we start our own business and we don't have any clients, you have a bit of time to reflect on what really triggered um, the situation. And, and for me, and I'm very big on two words, but big in my work today, connection, deep connection, and a strong sense of belonging. And, and I, I know this, I know this um, to be true, that I lost my dad to suicide about 18 years ago. And when I was sitting down working through why this work now, why, why and why me, the four words that came up to me were making every human belong. And I, and, and I, I know reflecting back on it was 
at the time when my dad um, took his own life, he'd had two attempts, but he left us a note to say that he was a burden and he didn't belong anymore. And I just know that that sits with me, that there's a, mm. there's a big piece around that, Julie, about how can I how can I do something today to help managers to understand the importance of creating uh, an environment where people feel like they belong? So I think not at the time when I first started to do it, it was more around rebellious mark, but I think yeah. as I've to reflect, it's more about uh, a, a pretty tragic life event. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Uh, um, thanks. It is heartbreaking to think that people don't feel like they belong and, and like your dad said that he's a burden it, it is it really does pull on the heartstrings and you, you don't want people to feel that way if you have any control over it which leaders really do so yeah and particularly at the moment where there's been a huge shift um, since COVID and it's only been a very recent shift where People are now very displaced. They're very disconnected and um, they are desperately needing a, a place to belong and desperately needing to connect on a deep level, as you said, yep. because the, you know, the impact to mental health of this is enormous. So I suppose the two parts to my question coming up is uh, obviously there's enormous benefits to being more human as a leader. And um, I'll get you to go through some of those. Yes. But also, particularly now when people are very, like the emotions are very high and very sensitive, is there any particular shifts that you're really encouraging leaders to do at a time in crisis? Yeah, look, I think... I think the first thing is one of one of the one of the traps we fall into, and I think it's quite a noble one, is is that we start to look out straight away about how we can help others. Uh, I think in these particular times, the first thing that leaders and managers need to do is actually look back towards themselves and just check in with how they're going. Um, so I think there's a big piece here around self awareness. So you know, um, they're all managers and leaders are human beings as well, and I, I'm you know I. The thing about COVID that's different to any other change we've been through is it's it's being done to all of us. Mm. It's not like it's an organisational change and the managers and the leaders are, are doing this to us and, and they're sort of they're like the entitled ones and we're we're copying it. Everyone's getting this, and I think the first thing that that managers should be thinking about is how am I feeling? Mm. How do I feel right now? And and the second part of that is is to have the vulnerability, which I say is a strong trait of leadership to let people know how you are feeling and it might be that a bit like you know our businesses I know on March the 13th my diary went from penthouse to the shithouse in an afternoon and, and I was not feeling great at the time and yeah. I and but I needed to talk to people about that so I think before you start to try and help others you know that I hear this term about putting on your own oxygen mask you need to help yourself to start with yeah. And and then and only then I think Julie can you start to do that that other work which which you know what in the first sort of six weeks of this thing happening sort of late March we saw amazing acts of humanity starting to happen like mm. it was almost like did it have to take a pandemic for us to become more human the amount of checking in that people were doing with each other particularly managers and and, and checking in on the on the welfare and the well being of people the Zoom calls you know, meeting people's children and pets and, and because of the environment that we're in, we all of a sudden almost had a 
and I guess an overdose of humanity. And and I guess what what we should be thinking about now is how do we sustain that? Um, and and I say sustainability happens because we don't run at it at a million miles an hour. We should just pick one or two things to do, like you know, ringing up each of your people or getting on a Zoom call each week and just asking them how they are. Mm. How are you feeling? Rather than what are you doing and how, what are you thinking about the work? How are you feeling right now? Um, I yeah. think that's a great place to start. Yeah, and that really goes back to your point that, you know, that the humans have become human doings rather yeah. than become human beings. And I totally get it at the moment. Leaders are, are really stressed and, you know, the impact on their business affects the bottom line and that can become the focus and I think it has for a lot of people and it's all it's all about how can we be productive. Yeah. So I think that that tip about just touching base and connecting on a human level yeah. um, and just checking in with their people. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I think just on that profitability piece, like the business, don't get me wrong, this isn't about kumbaya and just yeah. everything, just, just sit around and hug each other and, and play the guitar or whatever it might be. The businesses need to survive. We, we both know that. We need to survive in our business to, to have an ongoing concern. It's mm. no different in small business, medium business or large organisations is if decisions have had to be made um, yeah. along the way. And, and I think it's not so much about the decisions that we're making, particularly about laying people off. I don't think that's a bad thing in order for an organisation in a short term to be able to survive. Um, mm. I think it comes down to the way that you do that. And, and there's a human way. And, and you know, for, for anyone who's listening to this, if you Googled up um, <clears throat> Airbnb, the um, the CEO there, he put out the most amazing note to his whole organisation and it's a very, very long read. I'll tell you that much, but it's worth reading. I've never seen a more human approach to laying off 25% of your staff. They'd obviously gone to every length to try and not do that. Mm. But in the end, and this is another thing leaders should think about, is they just told the truth, Julie. They just mm. told the truth. It's like don't sugarcoat um, bad news because human beings have got great bullshit detectors. And as yeah. soon as you start to try and put hundreds and thousands on that, you know, that sandwich we talk about, mm. they're still going to taste the, the sour taste of it as well. So I think being really honest, being truthful and, you know, when you've got to deliver bad news and we've all had to do it, don't worry about that. We've all had to deliver bad news in some way in order to survive through this period. Just do it in a human way rather than in a way that you think, is going to make people feel better because all you're doing is trying to make yourself feel better. Mm, yeah, I, to I totally agree. And actually I put a blog out this morning about this very topic. Lovely. Because um, one of my friends was made redundant um, in an organisation that he worked with for eight years. Um, he was told on Zoom with eight of his other workmates and told the time he can go and get his stuff from the office because he still had stuff there. That's how... His employment ended, and the rest of the team were told in the same fashion that their jobs were safe for now. Yeah, well, see, this is this is the interesting thing. If I think about what they did at Airbnb, I had a call from a friend of mine, an ex-colleague where I used where I last worked, who went through the same experience just last week. 27, 28 years with this organisation, got a Zoom meeting 
without understanding what it was about and a scripted reading out a script to her to basically mm. say that you are no longer required. Now, you know, I can't understand how stupid some organisations become. And if they want to hide behind, we needed to do that way, that for legal reasons, like give us a break. Um, treat people like human beings. You want that person to leave the business still talking good things about an organisation and not walking away going after 20 plus years, I got a Zoom call to tell me I was no longer required. Um, yeah. It's just, that's just lunacy. Yeah, I agree. There's no empathy and there's no respect in doing anything that way. And like you say, you can deliver a very hard message in a good way um, and, in a, and in a very honest way, which will certainly influence the outcome. Yes, indeed. Yes. So I'd love to talk about your book, Being Human. And you talk about the seven steps required to rewire your management style. And so I'm just wondering if you can share a couple of those. Sure, sure. So um, let let me start with, um, if I think, I think about the, think about the styles of management like a house, okay? So um, we we, we use a hundred-year-old management system. And for some reason, we're still using that because that's the last one that sort of came in in, in, in the last industrial age. And and if you think about a 100-year-old house and you bought a 100-year-old house and you didn't rewire it, it had bloody burned down. But we, we continue to use a 100-year-old system and we're burning down in organisations around poor engagement, demotivated staff, attrition, lack of... And this is what I'm going to start with, lack of trust. So. Yeah. So I want you to imagine this. The first step in this process is you've got to actually reframe the way you look at trust. And rather than trusting people when they do something that makes you look good, shows that they're capable, how about you just trust that they turn up to do good work with good intention? Mm. And and if they don't do the right thing, then you can have a different conversation. I think we've got to reframe trust as as the foundational piece in this. And then if I look at connection and belonging, Two things here. One is around, I call it listen and learn, which is um, know the person first before you think about them as an output. So, so for us, for instance, we had a quick chat to start with. I know, I know a bit about your background now. I know where you worked and you worked in corporate for 20-odd years. Um, I know your business now is about um, working with small businesses. I know you live in Richmond. Um, now, if we kept talking in more, we'd build a deeper connection with each other as as I think we get again over time anyway. So it's just investing time at the front end for me to understand more about Julie mm. rather than going, how was your weekend? And by the way, you're 3% behind on your bloody KPIs. That doesn't build the connection. And the other side of it is around belonging. So these are these two, the two steps to think about, which is about clear purpose. And there are two very, very simple questions that I think to create a strong sense of belonging for an individual who wants to know that my relevance and my contribution and what I do to help my team, to help my department and to help my organisation succeed, how about just have this conversation with your people? Mm. Talk to them about why they're relevant and then talk to them about how they contribute Mm. to the organisation. So relevance and contribution are, are a big part of these seven steps around creating a clear purpose for people rather than giving them their PD and a KPI sheet and saying, I'll see you in three months at your um, probationary 
conversation, talk to them about what they're bringing as a technical expert and also as a human being. So both their skills and their behaviours. And, you know, I remember when I did that with my people, just a 10-minute chat, Julie, um, you could tell straight away in the way that they sort of started to stand up and go, I realise now as, a, as one person in a business of 30,000, I can actually make a difference here. And investing 10 minutes at the front end to do that created a whole lot of things. So, so those two around um, listen and learn and, and clear purpose would be two steps that I'd really encourage um, people to think about. Love it. That's a great point about just that 10-minute time investment. I think people or sometimes leaders can think that they don't have time to sit down and talk to their team frequently and they'll just save the conversations up for performance reviews, which I do want to talk to you about. Um, <laughs> but because <laughs> I'm fascinated about your thoughts around that. But it's the time invested, that small time investment, you can reap enormous rewards from that. You can and, indeed. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, and, and like you said, it's just rewiring how you're thinking about things. Yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's the first one. Let's rewire what we think the work is because there are, there are two different types of work and they're both super important. There's the stuff we get caught up in every day, the technical work, very important, mm. super important. Um, and then there's this other work and I think you've said it nicely to put the timepiece in, is that it's that work we say we'll get to that other work when we've done the real work. That's bullshit is because you've got to combine them together. There's what I call the work of human. And if we combine that work of human with the technical work, we, mm. we get amazing results. But then we have this little voice in our head going, but we don't have time for that other stuff because we can't measure or manage the effectiveness of it, but we can't see it. We can't see it on a KPI sheet. You know, I had a, I had three coffees last week with Julie to build better connection, but I didn't see the KPIs move at all. So I better go back to the other stuff. Yeah. Um, start to think that um, there are two very distinct types of work. And if you can combine them together, as I did with that experiment I ran, I saw that I saw what eventually happened was you know, great engagement, happy people and, and, and amazing business results. And it was because I decided that, um, and I worked this out over, over the two years that I ran the experiment, I spent 38 and a half, um, what was it, 38 and a half hours, um, it was 38 and a half hours every month actually spending time on that human work. And yeah. people would say to me, but what about, how do you get your other work done? And I go, it's easier now because I'm spending that time to invest in the human work. So the other stuff happens really well. Yeah, exactly. And when you've got people working for you um, because they want to, and like you say, and they're doing good work, it makes your job easier as Absolutely. a leader. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, and I like that you um, spoke about the two years because sometimes people wouldn't, we're, we're so addicted to instant gratification these days that we want things to happen at the click of a finger. So it's like, okay, this week if I invest change my style I'm going to get the reward next week <laughs> yeah you know what the um, we are afflicted by the curse of short-termism and it's like um you know what I, I was I was a good human last week so I should start to see that my people are are like really coming to me now and you know yeah. warming their hands to my flame rather than me holding their feet to the fire and it's just like the game of human 
is a long yeah. game. It, 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 I know this when I ran the experiment. It was about at about three months I started to feel like some things were shifting. Yeah. At six months I could really notice it, and at twelve months we were flying along, and um, you know we ended up two hundred and thirty eight percent ahead of our sales target in the first year. And but I had to also hold my nerve, Julie, at a time when at two months in I wasn't seeing much change, and I'm like maybe I should go back to the old way. Mm. It's like hold your nerve, mm. see what happens. And I think this is one of the greatest challenges is there's a lot of pressure on managers mm. from, from below and level and above to go do what we always do. You've yep. got to be able to be courageous enough to hold your nerve and, and understand that that time's well invested. Yes. So let's talk about that, which I'm going to touch on your book, A Little Book of Human. Sure. Um, so in this book, and I can't wait to get it, I haven't had the chance to read it yet, but in this book, you really challenge some very strongly ingrained cultural processes. <laughs> and um, I love the thought of, okay, so why are we having performance reviews with people when they completely are, are uninspiring mm. and when we want the our our team or our humans to be inspired uh, why do we focus on titles which is something that is very societal as well because yep. you know what do you want to be when you grow up oh you know I want to be a fireman I want to be a CEO I want to be a vet in my case uh, so really keen to hear how you're shaking up yep. <laughs> the, the norm there and you know, what can we do differently to change the culture? Because it definitely, if someone's wanting to do that, particularly in corporate, as you say, they're going to have to be courageous and they're yeah. really going to have to hold their nerve. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, let's start. And look, I, I say this is born from experience and just the underwhelming experience of going through the performance review process as someone who has been delivered the performance review and also the other end of it as someone who is delivering that as well. Yeah. And then not to mention also what I call the trade in human flesh, which is that bell curve one to five thing that we we do to people. You know, we just literally go into a room and we trade humans off against each other. Yeah. We need we need enough threes, so we've got fours and fives, and we need some ones and twos so we can move them out of the business. And then we expect to go back and think that our people are going to be motivated to do good work. Mm. If you continue to rank people in that way, they will continue to not cooperate with each other, not collaborate with each other. With each other, In fact, they'll compete with each other, which is pretty much against what most values we see in organisations today. So, mm. so I, think, I think it comes down to the intention of this process and the intention being that we need some way to measure people in order to give them a raise, a bonus, whatever it might be. Um, how about we just had bloody conversations with them on a weekly or fortnightly basis. And that's where I started to go to with, with my people was literally sitting down with them um, every two weeks and looking at four things. First of all was their financials. I was in sales. Financial targets, we'd spend five minutes on that. We'd then talk about, so we'd go through that and, you know, there were there some interesting conversations there. Don't get me wrong. we Because we were human, we actually, I'm going to say, we conflicted a lot more than we than just sort of walking away from stuff. So there was some, you know, some interesting stuff going on. The second thing is talking to your people about what are the barriers, what are the things that are stopping you from achieving what we want you to achieve 
and then don't let them off the hook here. Then say to them, what are the solutions to the barriers? You know, don't just come back to me mm. to be the person to do that. Mm. The third one was every two weeks I'd ask them, this is around behavioural stuff, was tell me, give me an example, a concrete example of how you've lived one of our values in the last two weeks. So I could have some sort of behavioural data there. And then the last one I think is the most important is two-way feedback. Yeah. So each two weeks, share with each other. Here's something that I've either learned from you or here's something that you did that you need to be mindful of. Um, And the reason I say taking it to this extent, and this is where this whole idea of we haven't got time, but we've got time at the end of half year and full year to sit in a room for an hour and just make stupid decisions that demotivate our people is Mm. be in a situation where you don't get surprised. Too many people get surprised at performance review time. You know, they come back. In my book, I give you the 10 do nots. These are the 10 things you shouldn't do in performance reviews. And one of them is coming back to your people and saying, I tried really hard to get you a four, but, you know, I couldn't quite get you there, but but three's a good score or, you know, that's just the process or, like, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Like, all of that stuff just erodes that foundational trust. Yeah. So I think doing this thing twice a year, and I'm going to say this too, because everyone's working so busily, it becomes a bloody scramble to do it. You haven't even done the work. Exactly. So, so I think I'm going to say, what, how would you do it differently? Because it's no good me saying it's no good and not giving you some idea. Regular conversations with your people. All right. Regular conversations with your people about their performance. Regular conversations at peer level about feedback for, about your people from others and you giving them feedback so that they have a bit of an understanding of how things are working across businesses. And the other one is is making sure you're talking to your, your manager as well yeah. about about your own performance because you've got to go through the process too. And you know, oh, this the amount of people that are over underwhelmed at that sort of half year and full year review and then demotivated for, you know, I sort of say it only takes two days in a year to destroy the other 363 days for people when they get their their score. Yeah. So we, we've got to find a better way to do it. Yeah, we absolutely do. And I think your point about two-way feedback, that's a great suggestion. Very confronting for leaders um, to ask for feedback sometimes if I reflect on my corporate days I had some amazing leaders I was very lucky but I had some shocking ones too and if I gave them feedback I would pay for that yeah Yeah. and and, and you know what look where you are today what do you what do you now do yeah exactly don't work for them because (laughs) because because, and this is this is I know it's not as easy as that because if you're going to make that decision to step out and do your own thing as as Mm. we both have it takes a little bit of courage and sometimes I say there's a bit of stupidity in me doing that. It's like, <laughs> shit, how am I going to get paid next month? But I also say people have a choice, surely. Like if you, if you keep putting yourself in that situation with your manager and you just keep accepting it, yeah. it's, not, it's not their fault. It's your choice. So, so there's something in there. So around this feedback thing, if you haven't got the trust, if you haven't been able to build that trust with, with your manager or with your peers or with the people mm. below, that's where you've got to start and say, look, I actually want to give you some feedback with good intention. Mm. Now, if they don't like that, well, then I think you've got to start to wonder whether or not 
you're prepared to put up with what's going on? Or are you going to start to challenge yourself to look around, not necessarily leave and start your own business, but find another manager somewhere that actually walks their talk? Yeah, it can be a real challenge for people, I think, when they're having to manage up and they have got a, a, an inability to influence yeah. um, sometimes. So, And like you say, we all have a choice and um, it can be a very difficult choice. But, um, and, you know, um, careers don't have to be a, a trajectory. Sometimes you have to step back um, to step up um, yeah. in a different way. So equipping yourself with that possibility to do that can be a really empowering thing. And I think you've got to be careful that you don't just end up as a, as a bit of a misery guts Having a having a pity party every day that's about look I've got a I got a bad lot in life and my boss is bad and you know like step away from it I said I asked this there's a question that was asked of me when I went to Harvard back in 2014 by Professor Marty Linsky he said to me I was moaning and bitching about something as I was doing at the time because I was rebelling and he said what's your part in the mess and I'm like it's not me mate and he goes what's your part in the mess and he kept asking me that Julie until I went. Until I'm prepared to understand my part in the mess, um, I've got nowhere to go. So I think this is a this is a, a good lesson on turning the mirror around onto yourself as well. That mm. let's not always say that our managers are bad, mm-hmm. and 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 blame the organisation and, and all that because it's the organisation's full of humans trying to also make their way through in some way or another. Mm. I don't think I think it's a very small percentage that are actually bad. Um, but if we keep saying it's a big percentage and woe is me, well, you know, we'll all be just um, going to the pity party and there's, that's not a great place to be. No, it's not. It certainly doesn't make you feel good. I love that question, what's your part in the mess? It's, um, like you say, turning that mirror around on you can be a real self-awareness exercise. Absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of you, you spoke before about, the whole self-awareness and the vulnerability. Mm. And I know you're very much about um, simplicity and pragmatism. Can't get the word out. So if I was a leader and I was listening to you now thinking, wow, I really need to get more in touch with my human side, (laughs) what, what would be the first three things that you would say to me to do? Okay. So um, the very first one is that, You've got, to, you've got to actually treat yourself as your first experiment. So you are the experiment. So, so it's, it's like it's almost a self-assessment. Start with, start with yourself. And it's like I, I ask myself these questions, which are, which are, are, are why this? Why am I doing this? Why am I actually doing what I'm doing today? Why now? Why am I doing it now? And then why, why me? So why am I sitting here and self-assessing? And it's usually... They're going to be answers that I don't want to hear, but it's important. It's a bit like when you get the 360 sent back to you when you read through it and you see all the bad stuff and you go, yeah, I remember that would have been Julie writing that because we haven't got on all that well. And so you've got to step away from this um, blaming others and, and, and becoming the victim. And it's just mm. like, so, so number one is to be your own experiment. I think that's the place to start. Mm. Number two is you need to speak to people who are going to tell you and give you some feedback and tell you what you need to hear mm. and not what you want to hear. 
And this is a really important part. So, you know, if, if people are listening to this and they go, you know what, I've got this friend who always gives me this feedback that sort of knocks me back a little bit when I get it. I, I feel the sting of it, but it, but it's not a bad thing because I, I know I need it. Go and seek those people out and, 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 and say to them, hey, I'm trying to become a better version of myself. Um, but in order to do that, I can't be surrounded by people who are telling me what I want to hear. Mm. But I know you'll tell me what I need to hear, so give it to me. And it'll be mm. like, you know, I've copped that. You know, things like, uh, mate, you're, um, you, you, you've got an ego you can't jump over, Mark. Okay, all right, thank you. Tell me more about that. Well, you know, or you're, you're manipulative or you are sometimes when you walk into the room, we're, you're, we're a bit intimidated by you because you're a big bloke and it's like, I didn't even think about any of that until someone told me. And it's yeah. just like, how do I change it? So accepting that feedback. And the third thing is really is then you've got to do something about it. Like mm. this, it's great that we do 360s and we get psychometrically profiled and all this stuff. Um, but sometimes they just create labels that we just, we will attach ourselves to whatever we want out of that that makes us yeah. feel I think with this stuff is you've got to hang on to the, the stuff that stings you a bit and then you've got to go and do something with it and go like, okay, so if I am, look, if I've got a big, and I know I've got a big ego, I've got a big ego, who's going to every now and again help me to correct that? And, and, and it's just like, well, it's going to be me, but it's also going to be going back to those people that, that will tell me. So my, my wife, Alison's great at that with me. She'd be like, getting a bit, getting a bit ahead of yourself, mate. Okay. No worries. Pull it back. So, so, you know, it could be partner. It it could be a good friend that you've had forever. I've got a great Mm. friend I've known for 43 years and he, he gives me some, he, he tells me what I need to hear at times when I'm losing touch with that. So, but it all, all of this work I'm talking about all ends up coming back this way towards you. Yeah rather than you being able to turn around that way and look out and go, if Julie was a better person, then I'd be a better person. No, mm. it doesn't work like that. No, that's right. But I'm going to say this, it's bloody hard work to do because we don't particularly like to sit in our catastrophe for too long. Mm. But I think we need to. Yeah. Well, what's the saying? Nothing worthwhile is easy. No, absolutely. I probably butchered uh, that. But no, 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 like no. You're so true. It's like... The hardest work we've got to do is the work of self. And, and mm. particularly in my work, I spend, if, if I thought of the, the whole time I spend with a client, either one-to-one or in, um, in a group situation, I say about 80% of the work we're doing is with them, with the mirror facing back to them. Because mm. until they do that work of self, you cannot manage or lead a team or manage or lead an organisation until you truly do the hardest work, which is to sort your own crap out. Absolutely. You've got to be a leader of self before you can lead anyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. So great tips. Thank you. Now, just changing tactic just a little bit. Sure. Just came to know who, who's had the biggest influence on your life? You said, when I saw that question, I'm like, bloody hell, it should just come to me straight away. But, uh, but I've had to sit and think. And look, I, I, I would go back to my father. I told the story about dad before, but yeah. um, like, one of the things that I learnt from him, I think, was like he was I, growing up in Mildura as I did. He was very involved in our our pursuits as kids. And my sister and my my brother was like he would always be giving to community. So he would be involved with our sporting clubs, or he'd be involved with a, with a, something at a school or whatever. So I think I think that that desire that I had to give 
mm. back to people. A lot of that came from him. I'd like to think that I picked up his work ethic as well, but I also consider myself, when I'm being really honest, to be a bit of a lazy bugger at times. Um, <laughs> he was a builder and, and I remember, you know, he would get up early and he would go off and build and then he would come home pretty late and, and they'd work at weekends at times, but he, he, had a, he had a very, very good work ethic and he was very, very good at, at what he did. Um, you know, I remember, I remember I'd get up with him at times in the morning. I'm an early riser today because I think I used to get up and sit with him and have breakfast sometimes as a, you know, an eight, nine-year-old kid. But just even talking to him at the time and, you know, asking him lots of questions that I'm sure that pissed him off, but he would, he would give me time to answer those questions. So I think giving back to community, giving time and just, mm. I think, picking up part of his work ethic. I'm more of a sprint, sprint hard, then have a rest and sprint hard and have a rest and sort of, all the way through. Um, but, yeah, I think he had a significant impact on on why I'm doing what I am doing today. And, look, particularly and most tragically, the, the greatest impact is what he did is for me now to be doing this work, which is about creating um, belonging. So I'd mm. say he would, he's been he's been significant. And then, as I said before, um, school teachers were pretty big for me as well, mm. uh, just just in the way that they they helped me to understand the importance of, of um of learning and, and that you can continue to learn even if you think you know it all. When you're a teenager, you, you might think you know everything. Uh, I, I'm sure my principal at times reminded me that I didn't know everything um, <laughs> and some of my teachers, but I, but I look back on that now and I think they were some great lessons as well. Oh, beautiful. Awesome. Thank you for my sharing. Pleasure. So, Mark, your work is so critical, um, I believe. So how can people get in touch with you? Because you've got your podcast, you've got your yep. books and you've yep. got your everything else that you do. Yeah, sure. Look, um, the best place to go is to my website, which is um, www.marklebusque.com. Lebusque is L-E-B-U-S-Q-U-E. It's a very fancy surname for someone who's a certified bogan, I must say. Um, so in there, you can see my podcast. I've got a, you can subscribe to a free monthly email. My books are there, um, information about my programs, and um, that's, that's the best place. And the other one that I really do like is LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So please, if people want to reach out, just Mark Labusk. There's not many of us in LinkedIn, I don't think, <laughs> given the surname. So um, please connect on, uh, on LinkedIn, and that, that would be the best places to find me. Magic. I will send out the links with the show notes so that people can just click on that quite easily. And um, you're doing virtual stuff now. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I am. <laughs> it's um, you know what I. This is another. This is another story of ego. It's like yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing <laughs> virtual. And um, and it's not. It's been. I got to say, I'm really, really. Um, I'm really, really appreciative of a particular a couple of clients of mine. Um, Julie Tickle, who's um, head of um, people and safety at the New South Wales TAFE, she's been pushing me even before COVID. We love your work. We want to bring some of it online. And I'm like, yeah, one day. And, uh, and, and, and we've started to do some, some online work. So I've really enjoyed clients that have been challenging me to go down that path. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I also run a thing on a Thursday called a Zoom Room Provocation where we pick a, I pick a provocative topic and people just join and we don't try and solve it. We just sit there and listen to other people's perspectives. So, like this Ooh. week, we're talking about uh, without without a ranking system in an organisation, it's just going to be chaos. So, obviously, there'll be lots of ideas. So, so there's a sort of little one-hour things I do as well. But um, yeah, look, I'm in the virtual space, um, reluctantly taken there. But I've got to say, I'm going to come to enjoy it. I feel like a beginner 
But as Julian Mather said in my podcast not long back, don't fear being a beginner, mate. Just embrace it. Exactly. We've all got to start somewhere. And um, (laughs) sometimes for me, it's like, oh, gosh, is that how I look? Really? (laughs) I'm sure I don't look that bad in person. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. you can't hide much, can you? On that's it's funny, and the, they see more of you when you're in the room. But there is this thing about, oh, how am I looking on the screen? Yes, <laughs> gosh. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So, Mark, it's been such a wonderful chat this morning, and I have loved everything you you've shared with us, and some really awesome tips for leaders and um, for emerging leaders as well, uh, and just for all of us to be more human and the benefits of that. So. My final, I'd love to end, I love asking people um, this question in terms of how would you like to be remembered? Oh, look, just as a decent human being who helped other human beings to, I, I like to say, get out of their own way. I think that's it, just helping people to challenge their beliefs. So just a good human would be, yeah. would be very, very nice. If someone said that uh, at my funeral, I'd be pretty happy with that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I'm sure they will. No worries. And um, again, thank you for sharing um, all of your insights with us today. And thank you for doing what you do because the world needs needs a lot more of you. So, Julia, um, thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.